welcome to the MM Dividend Growth Podcast. If this is your first time here, my name is Glenn Bush, and I'm the lead portfolio manager for the MM Dividend Growth Strategy, which is the focus of this podcast. Our full disclosure is at the end of the episode, but briefly, these are my own opinions. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and this is not an offer to buy or sell securities. So let's talk about holding periods. The average holding period, how long an individual investor owns a stock, has been in decline for decades. And now, according to a Reuters article, the average holding period reached its lowest point this past summer. Quote, there are different ways of slicing it, but Reuters calculations based on New York Stock Exchange data show the average holding period for U.S. shares was five and a half months in June versus eight and a half months at the end of 2019. Unquote. Now, I think we hit the lowest holding period on record because trading commissions dropped to zero across all the major online brokerage platforms. Free trading attracted a lot of newcomers to the stock market looking for something to fill their time while they were stuck at home. And this is from the Wall Street Journal. Quote, Mr. Nelson, who works for a marketing agency, used to try to trade during coffee or lunch breaks at the office. Now that he's working from home due to the COVID-19 pandemic, he said it is easier to check his account and trade. Coronavirus lockdowns have fueled the home trading boom, said Thomas Petrofi, chairman of the Interactive Brokers Group, an online brokerage popular with day traders. Unquote. But just because you can trade stocks during your lunch break doesn't mean you should. In their paper, Trading is Hazardous to Your Wealth, and I'll put a link down in the description, Brad Barber, Terrence Odian, and they found the following. Quote, Individual investors who hold common stocks directly pay a tremendous performance penalty for active trading. Of 66,465 households with accounts at a large discount broker during 1991 to 1996, those that trade most earn an annual return of 11.4%, while the market returns 17.9%. Unquote. And to bring it up to a little bit more modern times, BlackRock did a similar study, and they went from 1996 to 2015. Quote, For the past 20 years, both stocks and bonds have delivered strong annual returns, but the average investor has earned nothing, adjusting for inflation. This is a conclusion of an analysis of investor returns by BlackRock that compared the difference between time-weighted returns, the published returns that are realized by mutual funds, and dollar-weighted returns, the returns earned on the money actually invested in those funds. The difference between the two, often called the return gap, is due entirely to trading decisions made by investors. Unquote. I think we can safely call this type of market a loose market. And there's that old poker axiom. And I, I know, another investing like poker metaphor, but just stay with me. When the rest of the table is playing fast and loose, then you should tighten up. When the table is playing tight, you should loosen up your game. Now, we can take a similar approach to investing. When the average market participant is playing loose and overtrading stocks, we can play tight. We can increase our holding period to take advantage of longer-term compounding and dislocations in short-term price versus long-term value. But simply increasing our holding period is not enough. You know, we need something more. Increasing our holding period only leads to long-term gains when we invest in a company that generates high returns on capital and the company can reinvest its profits at a high rate of return over many years. Just increasing our holding period in a subpar company, uh, a company with declining returns, it just means we'll probably experience a capital loss over a longer time period. The bonus for us as dividend growth investors is that high-quality, high-returning businesses are usually disciplined capital allocators. They only reinvest their profits in new growth initiatives if the project will meet the company's minimum return requirements. If the project doesn't meet the minimum returns, 
then the company will return the excess capital to its shareholders through dividends and increased share buybacks. Intuit, which is one of our positions, they've stated that their hurdle rate for an acquisition or any new investment is 15%. And high return on capital companies tend to always have excess capital that they can't reinvest. So as the company grows, so does their dividend. Now, we don't focus on the highest yielding dividend stocks. We want to find companies that can grow their dividend at above average rates, which is why we focus on high returning businesses that have too much capital to reinvest. We want above average dividend growth because we want to grow our yield on cost as much as possible. Uh, so if we use a million dollar portfolio as an example, if we find a 5% investment but no growth, you know, we'll get $50,000 in income today and $50,000 in income in 15 years from now. And we'll leave inflation out of this just to kind of keep it simple. So our yield on the original $1 million is still 5%. If we move down in yield for more growth, like into a 3% dividend yielder with 8% growth, we start out at $30,000 in income, and then in 15 years, we're over $88,000. And our yield on an original $1 million is now 8.8%. If we invest in an even lower yielding company, say a dividend yield of 2%, and it can grow its dividend at 20%, then our initial $20,000 in income becomes $256,000 in income 15 years from now. And our yield on the original $1 million is now 25.6%. Now that's just an example, you know, a 2% yielder with 20% growth can be hard to find. So let's say we find a 1% yielder still with 20% growth. So that initial income, yearly income is $10,000. But in 15 years, that becomes $128,000. So our original yield of 1% is now 12.8%. And that 12.8% is return that we're going to get every year on our original investment simply by allowing a high-quality, high-return-invested capital company the time to compound. And that 12.8% yield on cost is going to keep growing over time. Again, I'm a bit biased, but I think this is a great strategy to build a rising income stream and a way to replace your future income needs regardless of the market conditions and a way to prevent the drawdown of your principal, you know, especially during those market corrections. And in an ideal world, you're generating more than enough income, and you can reinvest some of your dividends back into your portfolio to grow your income further and to take advantage of any market dislocations. And this is another reason why I like to find more low-yielding, higher-growing companies in the portfolio, and these usually fall under a category of new dividend payers. You know, companies that started paying a dividend within the last five years you know, they tend to have higher dividend growth because they start at a low payout ratio. And as they get comfortable with paying a dividend, they tend to increase their payout ratio. So we get above average dividend growth from the general growth of the company and the growth of its payout ratio. Now, our portfolio also has the standard dividend aristocrat stocks in it. You know, we like to call them dividend stalwarts because our cutoff is around 10 years of paying and growing a dividend versus the 25 years to be considered a dividend aristocrat. Now, and these guys provide more of a ballast to our portfolio, and they increase the current yield. But our largest positions tend to be lower yielding, but higher potential dividend growth stocks like Intuit, Visa, MasterCard. Uh, Microsoft is a lower yielder in one of our larger positions, but we've owned them since 2011 when their yield was around 3%. So for us, Microsoft is that rare high yielder with high growth. I think our original yield on cost right now is about 8%. And if you want to learn more about the Amon Dividend Growth Strategy for your personal account or as a separately managed account, you can contact me by email as gbush at amminvest.com. Uh, that's Bush Like the Beer. Or you can call me at 
755-0909. My email and number are also down in the show description. And thank you for listening. And now the full disclosure. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Glenn Bush and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of American Money Management, LLC, an SCC registered investment advisor who serves as a portfolio manager to private accounts. Clients of AMM, Mr. Bush, employees of AMM may buy or sell securities mentioned without prior notice. The opinions expressed do not constitute a recommendation to buy or sell securities. This podcast should not be considered investment advice and is for educational purposes only.